Well, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. If we could just take a moment just to praise God for all of our mothers and grandmothers that are here. We just thank you. Of course, none of us would be here if our mothers hadn't carried us to full term and given birth to us, which reminds me of a story. There was a little girl named Susie, and she was wondering, you know, how did humanity came, come to be? And so she went to her mother one day, and she said, Mommy, how did humanity come to this earth? And Well, her mother faithfully explained the story of Genesis and said, well, you see, God made Adam and Eve, and and when they got married, and and they started to have children, and that's how humanity came to be. And Susie liked that story, nodded her head, but the next day she saw her father and said, Daddy, tell me, how did humanity come to be? And her father began to explain to her, said, well, Susie, many, many, many years ago, there were these apes, and eventually humanity evolved from these apes. Well, now Susie was really confused. So she went back to her mommy and said, Mommy, I'm real confused. You said that God made humanity, but Dad said that we evolved from apes. Which is it? I'm so confused. Can you help me out? And her mom said, Oh, well, this is real easy to explain. You see, your father was explaining where his side of the family came from. (laughs) And I was telling you about my side of the family. Yes, we should all listen to our mothers when it comes to where we come from. You know, as we read through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we'll see very clearly that considering where Jesus lived in the first century, in first century Palestine, which was a patriarchal society living under Roman rule, Jesus, for his time and his day and age, was really a bit of a feminist because he would often speak up for those women who had no one to speak up for them. He would often stand up for those women who were oppressed or rejected by others. One of the best examples that we find of that is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, John chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, it may be found on page 1131 of your Red Pew Bible, John chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. But before I read God's holy word, I pray, let's pray again that God might guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me this morning. Lord, we just read in Isaiah that your word will not return void, but will accomplish all that it was set out to do. So God, we pray that as we turn to your word this morning, that you might accomplish what you want to do in our lives, that you might open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts, that we might be transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name, we pray and all God's people said, amen. John chapter four, beginning with verse one. Listen to the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. I want to pause there just for a moment. And he had to pass through Samaria. Samaria. Now, we actually know that's not exactly true. He didn't have to go through Samaria. We actually have a map I can show you up here on the screen. You can see that, you know, here's Judea, and Jesus has been in in John chapter 2. We read that he was in Jerusalem, turning over the tables in the temple, and then by John chapter 3, he's in the region of Judea, and he's preaching and speaking to Nicodemus, who comes to him at night, and he, he tells him that he must be born again. And now he decides he needs to go to Galilee. Now, it does seem obvious that the, the most direct path would be through Samaria. However, many righteous and pious Jews during Jesus' age would go around Samaria. They would actually go to the east, cross the Jordan River, and come around Samaria because they did not want to interact with the heretical Samaritans. 
You see, in the eyes of most pious Jews, Samaritans were like half-breeds. They were, they were not really faithful Jews because, well, Samaria represented what used to be a part of the northern kingdom of Israel. If you remember that, just a moment ago, we were reading from Isaiah 55, and it talked about King David. And King David was a, a faithful king who, who had the 12 tribes of Israel under his rule in Jerusalem. And then King David had King Solomon, and King Solomon was a wise king. But then after King Solomon came King Rehoboam. And King Rehoboam was a harsh king, and well, his harsh leadership led to a division among the tribes of Israel, and the northern tribes of Israel broke off and started the northern kingdom of Israel, where their capital was Samaria. And these northern kings, the first northern king was a guy named Jeroboam, and well, he was a, not a good king. He, he, he encouraged the people of Israel to worship idols, and as you read through the history of the northern kingdom of Israel, that's the pattern. These kings would rise up and they would tell them to, to worship Baal or to worship Asherah poles, never worshiping the one true God. Well, God becomes so upset with the northern kingdom of Israel that eventually he allows the Assyrians in 722 BC to completely destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. And the Israelites from the northern kingdom of Israel are sent off into exile to live in Assyria. And then Assyrians come, Assyrians come and they begin to populate and live in the northern part of the kingdom of Israel, so that Israelites and Assyrians begin to intermarry, and you have these half-breeds, these not true Jews, not faithful Israelites. Well, the Samaritans, on, from their perspective, though, they felt like they were faithful because they looked at the Bible and they said, only the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, are, are the faithful word of God. And so that's what they, they looked at as their holy book. And as they read the, the first five books of the Bible, they saw that, well, that Jacob, who was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, had a dream once. At, at Mount Gerizim. And so they said, Mount Gerizim is where we should worship God. Not in Jerusalem, but Mount Gerizim. And so they built a, a beautiful temple at the top of Mount Gerizim. But in 129 BC, the Maccabean Jews of Judea, the southern kingdom, they realized, wait a second, this temple in, in Samaria on the top of Mount Gerizim is not faithful. It's, it's, it's apostate. It's, it's false. And so they went and they destroyed that temple in 129 BC. It's within this tension, this political and ethnic tension that Jew, a Jewish man named Jesus, the Son of God, decides to walk through Samaria. And we know that he had to go, not because geography required it, but ultimately because his heavenly Father had a divine appointment that he needed to have with a, a woman at a well. Let's continue reading this powerful story that we find in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, picking up again with verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now in the first century, they counted the day beginning with sunrise. So the sunrise is at 6 a.m., the sixth hour, that's 12 noon. It's the heat of the day. And even though Jesus is the Son of God, he's fully God and he's fully man. And he's tired, so he sits down at this well. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the, into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. I want to pause there just for a moment. You know, it's one thing for a, a righteous Jew to walk through Samaria because it's the most convenient, it's the fastest route to get to Galilee. But to actually to be in Samaria and to engage a, a woman in a conversation and then to ask for a drink from her, well, nobody would do that. 
Because, well, Jews believed that, well, that Samaritans were unclean. And if you were to drink after a Samaritan, you too would become unclean. You'd become defiled and rejected. And so here is Jesus asking this woman for a drink. And he has no cup. He has no bucket of his own. He's going to have to drink from her bucket, from her cup. And so the woman is right to ask, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Let's listen to Jesus' response that we find in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who you is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? What a remarkable response to Jesus confronting her with her sin. Come and see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And what kind of things did this woman do? She was not valedictorian. She was not head cheerleader. She wasn't in the who's who of Sychar. She was not well-beloved. In fact, she had been rejected by most of the community. That's why she's at the well in the heat of the day. In fact, archaeologists tell us now that, well, there were actually wells in the city of Sychar. She, if she really needed water at the heat of the day, she could have easily, more conveniently, gone into the city where she lived and, and simply drawn water from the wells where everybody else was at the heat of the day. That's the point. She doesn't want to be where everybody else is. You know, most people would go out to Jacob's well in the morning or in the evening when it was cool, but she decides to go in the heat of the day intentionally so that she doesn't have to interact with any other women from the village. Just imagine what the women said about her. I mean, the rabbi tradition tells us that, well, it was okay to have three marriages, but any more than that was beyond what God could possibly want. And this woman not only just had three, but she had five husbands. 
You think all these husbands died? You think she was a widow five times? Unlikely. Do you think she's the one who filed for divorce five times? Unlikely. In the first century, it was usually the man who would file for divorce because, well, he had found someone else he liked more. Maybe his wife was guilty of adultery or he simply wasn't satisfied with that relationship anymore. Yes, this woman has had five husbands. The man she is now with is not her husband. She's living in sin and she knows it. That's why she comes to the well in the heat of the day, so she won't have to, to look, have those odd looks from the women or have those glaring glares, or so that the women won't call her names. What kind of names do you think they might have called her? Promiscuous? That's a nice word. What about whore? Floozy? Loose? They would have had all kinds of names for a woman like that in the first century. Yes, this woman has been looking for acceptance and love, and she knows she can't find it in the village, and so she, she decides to go to the well in the heat of the day, and, and she's been looking for love, as that old country western song says, so she's been looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces. She's had five husbands, and the man she's now with is not her husband. Yeah, she's been rejected by many because of what she's done, choices she's made many of these sinful choices. But when she experiences Christ, she says, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did of all the things to say. Why would she say, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did? There was something about the way Jesus said and pointed out all that she's ever done. There was something about the grace that exuded from him. Notice that before he confronts her with her sin, he actually offers her living water. He offers her salvation before she has even repented. Let's look again at verse 10 in our text. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus offers this woman living water before she's even had a chance to repent. Jesus is offering her love and acceptance. She can tell in the way that Jesus speaks to her that he loves her, that he cares for her, and he doesn't want anything from her like these other men. He simply wants to let her know that she is loved, and he has something of eternal value to give her, living water. What is this living water exactly? Well, the woman seems to think that this is some kind of special spring water, that if you drink it, you'll never be thirsty again. And she's wanting this water because she hates having to come to the well in the heat of the day. And they clearly get it. What is this living water that Jesus is offering this woman, and ultimately he offers to all of us here today? If you continue reading John's gospel, you'll see that in John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39, we read, On that last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So this living water that Jesus is offering this woman is the Holy Spirit. And he offers it to her before she even has a a chance to repent, before she even has an opportunity to confess her sin. Yes, it's clear to us in this text, the grace of the text is that Jesus offers her love and eternity, eternal salvation, before she even has to repent. 
It's not about what she does. It's about what he's already done for her and what he does for her as we see in the end of the Gospel of John. It's this text helps us see very clearly that Jesus knows everything about this woman and even though he knows about her sin, he offers her grace anyway. And that's true for you and me today. Jesus knows everything about us and he loves us anyway. The love of Jesus is greater than our sin. If we were to encounter Jesus at Jacob's well today, what sin would Jesus bring to our attention? What past or current sin would would Jesus bring to our attention? Just think about that for a moment. Now turn to your neighbor and tell him what that sin is. What sin would they tell you? I'm just kidding. Don't do that. That would be embarrassing. It would make you nervous though, wouldn't it? None of us want to be confronted with our sin, at least not publicly, right? And here's Jesus calling her out on her sin. What sin would would Jesus call us out on? Which one of the seven deadly sins have we been guilty of? Pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, sloth. If you're like me in my life, I've been guilty of all of these at different times. But thankfully, Jesus doesn't reject us. He loves us in spite of our sin. He offers us salvation. And he challenges this woman in verse 16 of our text to go call your husband and come here. The woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, go, you're right in saying you have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you're now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. This woman is wrestling with sexual immorality. And as a son of God... Jesus knows everything. He makes it real clear. I know you before you even knew yourself. We actually see this in the Gospel of John previously in John chapter 1, verses 47 to 50. We said, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him. Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Nathanael was under a fig tree many, many miles away when Philip comes and tells him about this Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. So then Nathanael goes to check it out. Of course, Nathanael's a little suspect because he's like, well, he's from Nazareth? What good has come out of Nazareth, right? He's wondering that. And and he goes, and then Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathanael's like, that was miles away. How is that possible? And he's like, why, you believe because of that? You're going to see greater things than these. You just, you wait. You'll see greater things than these. Yes, Jesus, as the Son of God, as the Word made flesh, as we read in the, the prologue to John's Gospel, is omniscient. He knows everything. There's nothing that, that is hidden. He, he's seen all that we've done, all the good and the bad and everything in between. Yes, Jesus knows everything about us. He knows everything about this woman at the well. Yet he offers her salvation anyway. And the woman realizes this. And so with great courage, she, she leaves the well and she goes. And, and notice what she does. She leaves her jug at the well, even though she came miles to get water. She leaves that because she's not worried about the water anymore. She wants to go back to the village to Sychar to tell everybody, all the people who had previously rejected her, all the people who were calling her names, all of the people who didn't want to be associated with her. And she goes and tells them the good news about this man who, who saw, who knows everything that I've ever done. What a reaction to the words of Jesus. Do we have that same kind of evangelistic fervor today? 
Are we the kind of people who go and tell others the good news of God's love for us, even in spite of what we've done? Are we, are we courageous like this woman and, and, and break social barriers and boundaries and go ahead and tell people, even if, even if they may reject what we have to say? Are, are we courageous like this woman was? Because I believe we are called to be, because we have a message that everyone needs to hear, a message of God's unconditional, sacrificial love. This woman as she was going to the well, was probably wondering if anyone would ever love her. She's had five husbands. Maybe one of them had died. Most likely she had probably been divorced by them, rejected by them. And now she's with a man who is not her husband, probably just seeking shelter. He doesn't want to actually make a commitment to her, so he hasn't married her. And she's wondering if anybody would ever really love me. And isn't that the question every human heart wants to know? Does anyone really love me? You know, young women can look at fashion magazines today and movie stars and they think, boy, those, those girls are so pretty. Those women are so pretty. I, I'm not as pretty as they are. Will anyone ever really love me? Young men playing athletics, well, athletics can find that, you know, at, at some point you reach a, a peak of your athletic ability and you realize there are others who are better than you are and, you, and you're wondering, am I good enough? Will anybody ever really love me for me? Businessmen work really hard. The husband works very hard and tries to get that special promotion he's been working for, but, but he doesn't get the promotion. Someone else gets it. And so he, he's beginning to wonder if anybody at work really appreciates what he does. Does anybody ever really love me? Yes, love in our culture is conditional, is it not? It's based on what we do. It's based on our performance. Athletes are loved as long as they can win and, and perform. Actresses are loved as long as they seem beautiful in the eyes of others. Salesmen are rewarded as long as they can meet their quotas and and bring in the right amount of resources for their company. Love in our culture is conditional. It's based on your performance. But the love of Jesus is based on his unconditional love because of what he has done for us. Jesus tells us, if you keep reading John's gospel, in John 15, that there is no greater love than this than a man who's willing to die for his friends. The greatest love the world has ever known is is that that God would send his son who would travel the cosmos through Samaria in the heat of the day to sit at a well to meet a woman who had been rejected by everyone else and he sat there and waited till she could arrive so that he could tell her, I know you and I love you anyway. Despite what you've done, I love you. God loves you. And that's the message we bring to the world. A message our world desperately needs to hear. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Come and see a man who knows everything I've ever done, and yet he's demonstrated his full love for us that while we were sinners, he died for us as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. But that's not the end of the story. No, the good news is that on Easter, he rose again, conquering both sin and death on our behalf. Yes, our gospel of grace, our good news is that Jesus has done for us what we can never do for ourselves. He lived in perfect obedience to our Heavenly Father. Then he died as the perfect sacrifice. Then he rose again, and he's given us the gift of eternal life, of living water, of the Holy Spirit, if we will simply come to him in faith. And that kind of grace needs to be shared with others. Who do you know who doesn't yet understand how much God loves them? Who do you know who's going through a hard time, who needs to be reminded of just how much God loves them? When the unexpected layoff comes, we need to know that God loves us. When the relationship ends or or the divorce happens, we need to know that God loves us. 
when the loved one dies, we need to know that God loves us. May we respond to God's grace just as the Samaritan woman did by telling others, come and see this man who knows all that we've ever done, and he loves us anyway. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the unconditional sacrificial love that we find in Jesus Christ, that we find in the cross of Christ, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the price for our sins so we could be reconciled to God once and for all. Oh God, we thank you for the new life that we have by your spirit. We pray, Lord, that all of us would would walk in that new spirit, walk in that new life and boldness like this Samaritan woman. We would boldly share with others the good news of your love because we know that our world needs to hear that message of your unconditional, sacrificial love, a love that will never leave us nor forsake us, a love that is with us always to the very end of the age. And for that, we give you thanks and praise. Help us to be bold as this woman was, going back to the people who had previously rejected her, giving them the message of your love. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ. And all God's people said,